Greetings, friend. Welcome back to Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel. I am your host, Neil Helligers. And before we get into the penultimate episode of our transformative romp through the swamp that is low life, I want to return to the conversation we've been having over the course of Adrenaline about what makes up a thriller. And I think much like a bunch of instructions at Frank's house, it can be a little complicated and mathematical, but when it comes down to it, there are probably a few key ingredients, right? One is the unexpected, like this word from our sponsor. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, that now makes me feel that maybe among all the other things that make up a thriller in terms of action, in terms of environment, uh, and, and in terms of motivated characters, is this idea of the unexpected, right? We've talked before about how a thriller is principally an experiential thing, all the other genres that make it up, but that, that the central part of it is that you, are, you don't know what it's going to be because it is... Uh, unexpected, but you're waiting for something unexpected to happen. You know at some point I'm going to divert to that word from our sponsor somewhere, somehow. You don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but you know it's coming, and you're sitting there, and my goodness, isn't it thrilling. Um, but let's get back to some real thrills, because we did have one, if you recall, at the end of the last episode. Olivia Matheson, apparently alive. Let's see what's going on there. This is episode 7 of Low Life on Adrenaline on Realm... Enjoy. Marlin struggled to roll the spray tank across the pebble walkway leading to an early 70s tract house in Boulevard Woods. Large Marge had lost a caster wheel two jobs ago, and the bumpy ride was doing a number on his back. It had been a busy afternoon for Critter County Pest Control. He wished he could call it a day, but he desperately needed the money. And work kept him focused on something other than the complete mindfuck of Olivia Matheson's reappearance. Sheriff Atkins wasn't able to give Marlin and Carrie much information, 
All he told them was that Olivia had showed up at her father's house around dawn and that she was safe. Of course, Marlin was glad that he was off the hook for Olivia's murder, but her return raised more questions than it answered. Marlin dragged his gear up onto the front porch, shifting the super soaker into his left arm alongside the carry-all of sprays. He used an elbow to press the doorbell. The door opened. A shirtless twenty-something wearing loose gray joggers greeted him. With a shaved head and cross-fit physique, he looked like he belonged in a Calvin Klein ad. You must be the exterminator, the guy said. I'm sure as shit not dominoes, Marlin responded. The guy smiled. I'm Jamie. Welcome to our home. Marlin stepped into the house. The scent of burnt sage crinkled his nose. Every piece of furniture in the front room was bright white. Even the rugs matched the snow-swept aesthetic. Marlin took in an ivory sculpture of a man and woman simultaneously engaged in at least six Kama Sutra poses. He caught a glimpse of himself in a solitary floor-to-ceiling mirror. The bruising from Alex's beatdown was starting to yellow. Sorry about my face, Marlin said. I stepped on a rake. Can I make you a smoothie? Jamie asked. I just pulled a fresh cacao pod from our orchard. I'm good, thanks. Where's the sucker? Our uninvited guest is in the den. My wife and I were leading a yoga live stream when the creature emerged. It gave our students quite the scare. We called you right away. He guided Marlin down a hallway and opened the door to the den. The room was filled with candles. Sashes of white silk draped across the windows. A camera on an overturned tripod rested in front of a pair of yoga mats. A blonde woman in lilac print Lululemon was sprawled on a white sofa eating beetroot chips and scrolling on a tablet. Their television was on at a low volume. A weatherman on the screen predicted sunny days ahead for Broward County. This is my wife, Jennifer, Jamie said. God damn it, she yelled. What, babe? Jamie asked. Someone uploaded a video of the attack. I knew people were recording us. This better not go viral. I'm sure it won't, Jamie said. Oh, yeah? Jennifer held up the tablet. On the screen, Jamie and Jennifer were both in a downward-facing dog when out of nowhere, a chupacabra leaped onto Jamie's backside. He squealed and tumbled into the webcam, knocking it over. High-pitched screams continued over footage of their ceiling before the screen went black. Damn it, Jamie muttered. Why is that your scream? Jennifer asked. This is bad for our brand. Marlon faked a cough. <clears throat> All fascinating stuff, but I've had a long day. Where did you say the sucker is again? Under the sofa, Jennifer said. The sofa you're on? Do you see another sofa? You know these chupacabras are vicious, right? I heard that's overblown. The media wants us to think they're dangerous. Okay, but if this thing tears half your face off, that's not going to be great for your brand either. Jamie smiled. It hasn't made a sound since it went under there. I read that they respond to the three treasures when we are truly harmonized. Our jing energy is probably keeping the creature at bay. Marlin decided it wasn't worth pushing back, so he smiled, pumped his super soaker, and dropped to the floor. He was about to lift the sofa's skirt when he heard a familiar name on the TV broadcast. 
he looked up at the screen. A Chiron read, Olivia Matheson returns home. Would you mind turning this up, he asked Jennifer. Um, what about the deadly chupacabra? Your love will keep him at bay for at least 30 more seconds. I can feel it in my chakras. Jennifer rolled her eyes, then cranked the volume. On screen, the newscaster threw to a live press conference. Henry Matheson sat at a long table leaning into a microphone. His daughter, Olivia, sat silently beside him. She looked healthy. Her red hair was up in a bun, not a scratch on her. Marlon noticed her perfect white teeth. She certainly didn't look like someone who'd been beaten to death and dumped in the ocean a week ago. Henry Matheson addressed the cameras. We're going to make this as brief as possible. I want to thank everyone for their concern and prayers over these past three weeks. The love that the Fort Lauderdale community has shown our family during this difficult time has been extraordinary. As you may have heard early this morning, our Olivia came home. I will let her take it from here. Olivia leaned into her microphone. Her lips moved, but there was no sound. She smiled nervously and looked to one side. Her father reached over and tapped at the mic. The sound came on. Olivia laughed timidly. Hello? Okay, good. Hi, everyone. Her voice cracked as she spoke. I'm embarrassed about this, so please bear with me. Anyone who's close to me knows that I've been struggling lately. Sometimes the state of the natural world, the horrors we're committing against our own planet, it can just... It just seems like so much. I've been in a spiral about it over the last few months, so I decided to unplug for a bit. Three weeks ago, I drove up to Ocala National Forest to begin a silent retreat. I stayed alone in an old cabin my family owns near Juniper Springs. None of us had been there in years. I turned off my phone. I spent most of my time in the woods, swam in the springs, and communed with nature. It was reinvigorating. I really needed it. Early this morning, I returned home. I was shocked to find that no one knew where I had been. She shifted awkwardly in her seat. You see, in spite of my family, I'm a very private person. I'm not even on social media. When I decided to head upstate, I wrote up a brief email, letting my close friends and family know that I'd be unavailable for a few weeks. A sort of out-of-office email. But then, oh God, this is so embarrassing, I forgot to hit send. I could have sworn I sent it, but I guess I left it there in my drafts. I was shocked to return home and discover that everyone thought I was kidnapped or dead or... She looked like she was about to cry. Her father stepped in. It's an easy mistake to make. We're just relieved to have her back. We want to apologize for the stress we may have put on our community, especially those in law enforcement. They put tremendous time and energy into trying to find Olivia, and we appreciate their efforts. Thank you all. God bless America. The video cut back to the anchor in the studio. Wow, Jennifer said. Babe, why don't we have a cabin in Ocala? Someday we will, Angel. How awesome would it be to have so many houses you can't even check them all if I go missing? As Jamie and Jennifer blathered on, Marlon rolled over onto his side and looked under the sofa. 
there was no sign of the chupacabra. He realized that he'd left his flashlight in the brat, so he stared into the darkness and waited for his eyes to adjust. This Olivia thing wasn't making any sense. If she really was out on a silent retreat this whole time, then who the hell was the Olivia who turned into a were-gator at Carrie's house? She looked exactly like the girl from the missing posters. Do you see it? Jamie asked. Marlon wondered how long he'd been staring under the sofa. He rolled over onto his back. No, I've got to run out to my truck. The chupacabra lunged from under the couch. Rows of pin-like teeth sank into Marlon's forearm. The pain blazed across his temples like an electroshock. He hadn't been bitten in years. Jamie screamed his high-pitched scream. The sucker shrieked, releasing its jaws from Marlon's arm. He looked up to find Jennifer, with one hand gripping the chupacabra's tail and the other squeezing the beast's rear end. She swung the sucker around in the air a few times, then smashed it into the ground, cracking open its skull. Marlin scrambled to his feet, clutching his throbbing forearm. The bite stung like hell, but didn't seem too deep. Wow, he said. Where'd you learn that trick? My friend runs a pit bull rescue. The quickest way to release their jaws is a thumb up their ass. I'll keep that in mind. Thanks for the assist. I'll clean up this mess for you and handle the disposal. No thanks, we can take it from here. Oh, all right. And you're paying for that, she said, pointing to her sofa. Drops of Marlin's blood patterned the bright white fabric. That? That'll come right up with a little seltzer and sodium percarbonate. I have both in my... Their faces told him that this wasn't going to work. Marlin sighed. Send me the bill. Can I get you another Mai Tai, Carrie? Sparky asked. Sure, why not? She replied. One more couldn't hurt. As much as she hated to admit it, she was having a decent time here at the Chicky Hut. Carrie had been at home, trying to study in spite of the insane itch in her cast, when she got a phone alert that the Mathesons were about to talk to reporters. She fumbled to turn her television on, fully expecting that Olivia would somehow implicate them in her disappearance. The press conference left her baffled. That was it? Just a rich girl taking a three-week solo retreat in the woods? No mention of alligator people? No mention of a man-child exterminator and a graduate student who dropped her seemingly dead body into the Atlantic? Carrie felt relief, but also an anxious sense that the walls would cave in around them soon enough. She called Marlin. She wanted to meet up and discuss their next steps. When Carrie arrived at the Chicky Hut's happy hour, she found Marlin and Sparky at a back table with a small crew of regulars. Sparky was regaling them with the colorful account of a date he'd gone on with a man named Starfish. Marlin got up to give her a big, boozy hug, then turned to address his friends. Everyone, if you could give us some space, Carrie needs to tell me and Sparky about a very personal and very disgusting medical procedure she recently had. The crowd shot Carrie a few repulsed looks before dispersing. There had to have been a better way to handle that, Carrie said. Oh, I'm sure there was, Marlin agreed. Let me get you a drink. For the next hour, the three discussed Olivia's reappearance. 
Marlon's pet theory was that the woman he killed, the one who showed up on Carrie's porch, wasn't actually Olivia. She was a random red-haired crackhead, adding, sometimes they all look alike, you know, like how people always get Reba McIntyre and Bonnie Raitt confused. At that point, Sparky almost stormed out of the bar, incensed at the idea that anyone could confuse Bonnie and Reba. Sparky also disagreed with Marlon's suggestion that it was just some crackhead. If that was the case, why would Wilma have given them that spiel about Henry Matheson turning Olivia into a weregator? Wilma brought that up first thing when they met her. Marlon wondered aloud if they should get in touch with Wilma, but Sparky waved him off. I didn't trust that woman then, and I sure as fuck don't trust her now. What if she just wanted you to kill Henry Matheson for her? He may not have turned his daughter into an alligator, but the guy's a crook. Still, I'm glad I didn't kill him. Would have had some real leg on my face there. They eventually came to the conclusion that they didn't know what the hell to do next. That was when Sparky went to get more Mai Tais. Carrie turned to Marlon. How are you holding up? Marlon sighed. Not great, to be honest. I'm not feeling like myself. First Eddie dies, then I was carrying the weight of that poor girl's death around for a week, and now we're told that it didn't happen? That doesn't seem right. This can't be over. Yeah, it feels like we're still on thin ice. Well, I couldn't ask for a better partner in the rink. Just then, three overflowing Mai Tais plunked down in front of them, sticky sweet booze sloshing onto the table. Sparky slid into a seat out of breath. She's here, he whispered. Who? Marlin asked. They followed Sparky's thumb toward the bar. A woman with red hair stood talking to the bartender. She turned to face their table. It was Olivia Matheson. Marlin held his hand up over his face. What's she doing here? Maybe she just wants a drink, offered Carrie. Oh, fuck, said Sparky. She's coming toward us. Okay, quick. I'm not me. You're not you. We need fake names, Marlin said. That'll never work, Carrie hissed. Well, I don't know what to... Olivia was standing right beside him. She smiled. Excuse me, are you Brad Marlin? Marlin glanced at Sparky, then Carrie. He gulped. Depends who's asking. She held out her hand. I'm Olivia Matheson, but you already know that, don't you? I think I've heard of you. Weren't you just on the news for something? I'm not much for current events. You're not in trouble. In fact, you may be the only one who can help me. Can we go somewhere private? I think you're going to want to hear what I have to say. Carrie couldn't believe it. Just when it seemed like the trail had run cold, Olivia walked right up to them. This could be the break they were looking for. Marlin downed the last of his Mai Tai and looked up at Olivia. Actually, miss, I think you've got the wrong guy. Have a nice night. The table bounced as Sparky kicked Marlin underneath it. Marlin sighed, defeated. Yeah, sure, let's go out back. Sparky and Carrie are coming too. They're in this with me. I'll take all the help I can get, Olivia said. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Marlin led everyone out to the slop sinks by the marina, where they'd be out of earshot of the drunk smoking cigarettes outside the bar. Sorry about the smell, Marlin told Olivia. You'll get used to it. Olivia walked to the edge of the water and gazed out at the boats. She took a deep breath, then turned back to face Marlin, Carrie, and Sparky. Did any of you see my press conference today? It was horseshit, Marlin said. You weren't on any solo retreat. No, I wasn't. But I had to say something. My dad, the police, everyone asking questions. I couldn't tell the truth, especially not to my father. Marlin nodded. We hear that you and the old man don't see eye to eye. We haven't gotten along in years, but we've always had an understanding. I could pursue any cause I wanted as long as I stayed away from his businesses. And he'd give me money if it was something that enhanced the family name. I started the rehabilitation center with a check he wrote, she explained. Things were more or less fine until I found out about his plans to drain the Everglades and develop on the new land. I couldn't stay silent anymore. I pleaded with him to reconsider, but he had too much to gain financially. I told him that I would speak out publicly, tell the press about the real environmental toll. He threatened to pull the funding for the rehab center. I couldn't let that happen. Too many people rely on us. So I sought outside help. I thought if I could get his plans to some truly radical activists, the sort of people I didn't normally associate with, they'd be able to do more to stop it. That's when I contacted Wilma Novak. Who's that? Marlin asked. He thought it would be best to play dumb. Olivia's eyes narrowed. Please don't play dumb. You and Sparky were at the outpost last week. So much for that. Sorry. Go on, Marlin said. Wilma was excited to bring Henry Matheson's daughter into the fold. She's been after my dad for decades. She'd already heard rumors that he was planning to use an old government project called Muckraker to drain the swamps. She promised me that if I could get her my father's plans, she'd make sure that the project never happened. So I went to my father's office late one night and broke into his computer. He still uses my birthday as his password. I searched for Muckraker and found a bunch of files in a folder marked Moxie. Wilma wanted everything. I transferred it all to a thumb drive. The folder was huge. I was nervous it wouldn't copy in time. I'd just slipped the drive into my purse when my father walked in. He was working late somewhere else in the building. He was furious. He accused me of reading his emails. That's when I snapped. I screamed at him about how much I hated everything he stood for. He told me to go to hell. It hurt but at least I had a copy of the files. Marlin thought about how that lined up with Henry Matheson's story. That was the last night anyone saw you. I went straight from there to the outpost. Pete picked me up at the dock. He insisted I hand over the drive before I even stepped into the boat. I should have known something was up, but I was buzzing with excitement. I didn't even notice when he rode us past Wilma's place. Instead, we were headed for this weird structure built into the roots of a giant cypress tree. The mud hive thing? Sparky asked. With the smoke coming out of it? Olivia nodded. Wilma and Delilah were already on the dock. 
Wilma asked Pete if he had the plans. I turned around just in time for him to smash me in the face with an oar. It all went black after that. Jesus, Carrie said. All they wanted were the government secrets my father had. They tricked me into stealing his files, and then they kept me sedated for three weeks in that mud hive while they used me as a guinea pig in their experiments. Those crusty fucks, Sparky fumed. They wrapped me up in a tangle of the tree's roots, almost like I was in a cocoon. They starved me of food and water. Every few days, Delilah would come in and sneak me something, usually cold fried chicken. You know she got that chicken from dumpsters, right? Marlin asked. Olivia looked at him, confused. Marlin thought he should clarify. They steal food from dumpsters. They're called freegans. All the food they eat, they take it from the trash. Can you just let her tell her story? Carrie said. Sorry, go on. What were these experiments? Whatever the drugs were, they had tubes running into my arms, like a methadone drip. It was like a sensory deprivation chamber. There was no light. I couldn't tell what was real and what I was imagining. There was one time I had a terrible hallucination that Pete and Wilma brought in an alligator and connected it to the tree next to me. Then everything went blurry. When my vision returned, I could have sworn that I saw... She trailed off, laughing to herself. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. It's too insane. I should stick to what I know really happened. You saw another you, Carrie said. Olivia lost her smile. How did you know that? We saw her too. The other Olivia. I don't... I don't understand. Where did you see her? What was she doing? She kept trying to break into Carrie's house, Marlin said. She looked like a crackhead version of you. She ate all of Carrie's chickens before killing my partner, Eduardo. Oh, my God. She killed someone? Well, she wasn't exactly human when she killed him. She was a were-gator. A what? A were-gator. A person who turns into an alligator. Carrie saw it happen. Carrie nodded. Or maybe it's an alligator that turns into a person. What happened to this were-gator? Olivia asked. Is she still out there? She... It's dead. We killed it, Marlin said. We've been trying to sort this whole mess out ever since. This... Other me... Did anyone else see her? Your friend, Ivan, Carrie answered. He told me he saw you trying to break into my house. Olivia smiled. Oh, God, Ivan. He's been texting me like crazy, saying he needs to talk. But I just... I don't want to drag him into this. He's been through so much to get where he is. Wait. Why was the other me trying to get into your house? It's actually my grandfather's house. She was after some of his things, Carrie said. He has box after box filled with secret military files from the 50s and 60s. Does that mean your grandfather is Gusto? Olivia asked. Carrie's eyes went wide. I saw the word Gusto stamped on his files. What does it mean? That's someone's name? Sometimes 
I'd hear Wilma, Pete, and Delilah talking in the mud hive. They mentioned an Agent Gusto a few times. They were trying to find his files. Holy shit, Carrie said. There was another agent, too, codename Moxie. Those were the files I stole from my father, but I guess they were useless without Gusto's. Wilma had started building some kind of machine, but they needed the other set of files to finish it. Hmm, Marlin said. It's probably the weapon that Wilma told me about, the muckraker. She told us she was trying to stop your father from building it, but I guess she only wanted it for herself. Why would Wilma want to drain the swamp, though? Sparky asked. Isn't the swamp like her whole thing? Olivia frowned. I've given up trying to understand her. So much of what she's told me has been lies. I have no idea what she's planning, but I know we need to stop her. She's pure evil. We, Marlin said. Why are we the ones to help you? How did you even know to track us down? I overheard other conversations. They kept mentioning an exterminator named Brad Marlin, who'd figured it all out, and they were panicking. They thought you could bring their whole operation down. Hell yeah, I can. But that was before they met you. They worked on a cover story to use with you and Sparky. I heard them again that night after your visit. They were pretty confident that they'd thrown you off the scent. They even hoped they might get lucky and you'd kill my father for them. Well, the joke's on them. I was way too high and confused to kill your father. That's, uh, probably for the best. Anyway, when I escaped, I knew I had to find you. How did you escape? Carrie asked. It was early this morning. Whatever sedative they had me on started to wear off. I was finally lucid again. I remember them having a loud party the night before. Pete must have gotten drunk and forgotten to give me my bedtime dose. That sounds about right, Sparky said. He got shit-hammered on moonshine the night we were out there. I knew he was bound to forget eventually, and this was my chance. My legs were weak, but I made my way to the door. I took a rope bridge to shore and found the old building they use as a garage. My car was still there. I drove back to Fort Lauderdale. I sat at a rest area for a while to catch my breath and figure out what to do. My first instinct was to go to the police, but there was this voice in my head telling me how insane everything was going to sound. They'd never believe it. Marlin nodded. You're right about that. So I made up the story about being on a retreat. It was enough to fool my father. The big press conference was his idea. I was really nervous lying to so many people, but it seems like it worked. I saw right through it, Marlin said. I've pulled the I thought I hit sand thing a hundred times. Never once was it true. Well, I guess that means you're the guy to help me, Olivia said. What do you say? Fuck it. I'm down. Me too, Carrie chimed in. Olivia looked to Sparky. What about you? We're already knee-deep in this horse shit. Why not bathe in it, Sparky said. So what's the move, Marlin asked. Storm the swamp? We can't take that risk, Olivia said. We're outnumbered, and we barely understand what we're fighting against. Do you still have the file boxes? They're locked away in my ex-wife's pool house. 
It's more secure than it sounds. Could we go there and dig around in the files? It might give us a clue to how to beat these things. We've been through the boxes, Carrie said. We can't make sense out of anything. They're probably useless without Wilma's half of the files. Crap, Marlin said. Why can't we go straight to the source? Sparky asked. Wouldn't your grandfather know what's in them? I've tried that, Carrie said. He's suffering from dementia. He's not going to be able to tell us any... Wait a minute. What day is it? Tuesday, Sparky said. Tuesday, Olivia said. Thursday, Marlin said. Wait, no, Tuesday. Carrie smiled. The nurse told me that my grandfather is usually at his most lucid during their Tuesday game night. Anyone up for some bingo? Carrie, right? Nice to see you again, James the nurse said. Frank will be excited to have so many guests. Is that okay? Of course. Just try not to win more than one game each, okay? Some of them get pretty cranky when outsiders win. I make no promises, Sparky said. It dawned on Carrie how strange they must look. She and her cast, Marlon with his black eye and missing tooth, local celebrity Olivia Matheson, and Sparky in a hot pink Aloha shirt that blended in at the Chicky Hut but was a little loud for the Shady Lane retirement home. They might as well be a circus act. James led them down a hallway into a large activity room. There were about a half dozen round tables, each with seniors seated around them, bingo daubers at the ready. The old-timers listened intently to a smiling young man spinning a ball cage on a makeshift stage at the front of the room. An old-school bingo board behind him listed the numbers he was calling. Carrie spotted her grandfather sitting with an elderly woman. As their group approached, she saw the glimmer of recognition in his eyes. Frank, look who it is, James called out. Carrie, Frank smiled. How are you, my dear? What happened to your arm? I'm well, thanks. It looks worse than it is. Carrie was relieved that Frank seemed coherent. This was the warmest reaction she'd received since she arrived in Florida last month. I've brought a few friends with me. This is Brad, Olivia, and Sparky. Frank smiled. Welcome. Have a seat. Do you want to play some bingo? Actually, I was hoping we could talk in your room. I need to discuss something private. Frank nodded at the woman beside him. Nadine here won't tell anyone anything. Don't worry. Nadine grinned at Marlin and Sparky. Well, here's a pair of hunks. Sit by me, fellas, she shouted, patting the seats on either side of her. James leaned in to Carrie. You'll be fine, he whispered. Nadine's earpiece is on the fritz. She can't hear a word you say. Okay, that's a relief, Carrie said. Let me know if you need anything, and keep an eye on Nadine. She likes to cheat. It was nice seeing you again, Carrie. As James walked away, she wondered if he might be a little sweet on her. He was cute. Carrie and her guests sat down. Nadine took her dentures out and dropped them in a glass of seltzer. Cleaning my choppers for you, she shouted at Sparky, who nodded politely. How's the house treating you? Frank asked Carrie. The house is fine, but I wanted to talk to you about your file boxes, the ones from your time in the service. Frank's eyes narrowed. Didn't I ask you not to touch them? I should have. I forget things sometimes. You did, but I need to know what's in the boxes. 
There are people trying to get to them. I had a break-in attempt. Frank slowly shook his head. That can't be. No one knows about them. We, we made sure of that. Who did? Who is we? I'm sorry, sweetie. That information is classified. This was exactly what Carrie was afraid of. She'd hit his knee-jerk classified wall again. Olivia leaned forward. Are you Agent Gusto? You are, aren't you? Frank dropped his bingo dauber. How did... Carrie, who is this person? My name is Olivia Matheson. I was taken captive by a group of eco-terrorists led by a woman named Wilma Novak. They're building some kind of weapon, and they're desperate to get their hands on your files. Even if they had them, my files are useless without... They have the Moxie files. They're already making wear gators. They made one that looked just like me. They sent it to break into your house, but your granddaughter and Mr. Marlin stopped it somehow. Marlin held up a clenched fist. We served up a knuckle sandwich of the six-foot party sub variety. Extra mustard. Frank looked to Carrie. What in the heck is he talking about? He means he punched it to death. Brad, please don't confuse a man with your Marlinisms, Sparky said. Y'all are too distracted, Nadine said. She leaned over to look at Sparky's card. You have G-47 and B-11. Keep up. Sparky started dotting his card. Frank turned back to Olivia. How did this Wilma get Moxie's files? She stole them from my asshole father. I don't know how he got them. Maybe from Agent Moxie? Frank looked wistfully off into the distance. That can't be. Moxie was my partner. We met on a mission during the Korean War. We both had an interest in the unknown. After the war ended, we spent a couple decades traveling the globe investigating sightings, cryptids, UFOs, sea monsters. We waded through a lot of bullshit, but I'll tell you, some of it was true. What happened to Moxie? Are you still in touch with him? Carrie asked. Him? Moxie was a her. We were lovers, but I was an idiot. She... I couldn't get out of my own way. It was a pretty messy split. I sure didn't make it any easier. I've been there, Marlin said. The work we did was highly classified, but neither of us wanted to have full custody of our research. It wasn't safe. Grandpa, you've never told me about this. I hoped I'd never have to. We encrypted everything and split them between us. My notes were useless without hers, and vice versa. If there was ever a world where we needed to join the fight again, we'd still have access to them. But that day never came. I started a family, lived a normal life. I don't know what happened to her. I'm sure she moved on, too. What was her real name? Carrie asked. We made a promise. We only used code names to protect ourselves. Grandpa, she clearly shared your name with someone. There are monsters coming after me trying to get to your boxes. Frank sat still, lost in thought. A few more bingo numbers were called. Nadine furiously dotted at her card. Finally, Frank looked up from the table. Her name was Young Suck Lim, but I called her Betty. She wouldn't have willingly given her files to anyone. They must have been stolen. Marlin slapped the table. Olivia's dad has a woman working for him named Beatrice Lim. I think she's also the Chupacabra Whisperer we saw out at Camp Arrowhead. She's too young to be Agent Moxie but she could be a relative. 
The name can't be a coincidence. Lim is a very common last name, Carrie said. I know Beatrice, Olivia said. She's not to be trusted. She's the face of my father's environmental outreach programs, which means she's a fraud. Worth checking out, Marlin said. So, Frank, Sparky said, I'm still thinking about these sea monsters you mentioned. Could one of them bite the head off a 13-foot wahoo? Oh, absolutely, Frank said. I knew it. One monster at a time here, please, Marlin said. All you need is an 069, Nadine squealed, pointing to Sparky's card. Honey, you don't know the half of it, Sparky said. Marlin shook his head and smiled a broken-toothed grin. Wait a second, Frank said, a look of fear on his face. He pointed at Marlin. You're one of them. You're a gator soldier. I'm afraid not, pal, Marlin said. What makes you say that? Your tooth. When we first hunted the gator soldiers back in the 50s, you could tell them apart from humans because their teeth started falling out. Marlin laughed. I just lost this tooth in a fight. No gators were involved. Carrie's ex-boyfriend sucker-punched me. You're lying. Frank stared Marlin down. It's true, Grandpa, Carrie said. I was there. I don't like it, Frank said. If someone here is a gator, that means their host is listening to everything we say. All of you show me your teeth before I say another word. Marlin brought his hands up to his mouth, pinching at his front teeth and applying pressure. See? They're not going anywhere. Now you, Frank said, pointing at Sparky. Don't you want to check Nadine first? Sparky said. Her teeth are definitely fake. I trust Nadine, Frank said. I don't know you. Show me. Sparky smiled wide and tugged on his teeth. Frank pointed to Olivia next. She opened her mouth and pulled at her front teeth. They snapped off easily between her fingers. What the... Olivia said, staring down at her bloody hands. She's one of them, Frank shouted. Bingo, Nadine yelled, oblivious to the events at her own table. She stood up and started her slow walk to the stage, fists pumping in the air. I'm, I'm not a were-gator, Olivia said. I swear, I don't know how that happened. Carrie stepped in. She's been through a lot, Grandpa. There's got to be some kind of explanation. We already killed the were-gator version of Olivia, Marlin added. There can be more than one. They always have all of their host's memories, Frank said. She could be a gator and not even know it. I swear I'm not, Olivia said, blood trickling from the corner of her mouth. I have to kill you, Frank said, rising slowly from his seat. Grandpa, no, Carrie shouted. Frank lunged across the table at Olivia, arms flailing for her neck. Olivia jumped back, crashing her chair to the floor. Everyone in the activity room turned to watch the commotion. Olivia winced in pain, her body convulsed, arteries pulsing her neck. What's happening to me? She pleaded, terror in her voice. Her skin was turning green. Marlin clenched his fists. Guess I've got to beat up another one of these fucking things. Frank picked himself up off the floor. He stepped in front of Marlin. Hold on. There's an easier way. He charged at Olivia. It was the fastest Carrie had seen him move in years. Olivia smacked Frank across the face, sending him flying into the air. He crashed down on their table, splitting it in two. 
Marlon and Sparky rushed at the morphing Olivia as Carrie ran to Frank's side. Are you okay? She asked her grandfather. Frank put his hand to his head. I... where am I? Marlon and Sparky had hold of Olivia's arms. Her mutating jaw bulged from her head. Her clothes strained and ripped as her body transformed. Screams of panic swept the activity room. Octogenarians with canes and walkers hobbled toward the exits. Nursing staff ran to assist the folks in wheelchairs. On stage, Nadine stood behind the microphone holding her winning bingo card. Where is everyone going? She asked. Carrie helped Frank to his feet. Grandpa, how do we stop her? Huh? He said, his voice trembling. Olivia was fully wear-gator now. Marlon and Sparky struggled to hold her in place. Carrie turned back to her grandfather. The gator soldiers, you said you had a way to stop them. He looked at her, befuddled, then at the wear-gator. The weakness, damn it! Carrie shouted. It wasn't working. She dropped her voice, trying to sound like a drill sergeant. We need your help, Special Agent Gusto. How do we stop a gator soldier? She watched his eyes sharpen. It was coming back to him. There's a weak spot, he said, bringing his hand up to the back of his neck. Strike her right there. Carrie turned to Marlin and Sparky. They were spinning in circles, desperately holding onto the wear gator. The back of the neck! That's the weak spot! Carrie yelled. The wear gator roared. Marlin tried to move up its arms, reaching for the neck. The monster slammed him against the carpet. Sparky realized that it had a free arm. Oh no. The were-gator hit Sparky hard, sending him sailing across the room and onto the stage. Nadine screamed at the top of her lungs. A nurse built like a linebacker swung a folding chair at the were-gator, knocking it against the wall. Marlin scrambled toward Carrie and Frank. Are you two okay? I think so, Carrie said. Frank nodded. Marlin flipped a table over on its side. He told them to stay behind it. She was a were-gator this whole time? Yes. Frank said. She's been transmitting everything back to the real Olivia, even if she didn't mean to. Olivia must still be captive at Wilma's, just like the fake Olivia remembered. This is fucking madness. Oh shit, Carrie said. What? We told her that the boxes are at Vicky's pool house. That means Wilma knows where they are. I've got to warn Vicky, Marlin said, pulling out his flip phone. From across the room, Carrie heard another deep gator roar followed by screams and an awful cracking sound. The giant nurse came sliding across the floor, stopping right at her feet. His chest was torn wide open. Blood soaked the industrial carpet. Carrie peeked around the table. The were-gator punched an orderly in the face and flipped a wheelchair, spilling an old man to the ground. Marlon lowered his phone. Vicky's not answering. He scanned the room. Where's Sparky? Carrie pointed at the stage. Sparky sat slumped against the back wall, breathing heavily. Marlin raced to his friend. James appeared at the overturned table. He was out of breath. These are the gear soldiers you were talking about last week? Carrie nodded. How can I help? He asked. The back of the neck. That's its weak spot, Frank said. I'm on it, James said. He stood and looked out over the table. I don't see it, he said. Where'd it go? Carrie looked around. Nothing. Then she noticed the tip of the massive green tail sticking out from the other side of the table. Watch out, 
she yelled. It was too late. The were-gator grabbed James by the collar and lifted him in the air. It swiped at him with its other claw, slicing his head from his body. It fell to the ground, spurting blood all over Carrie and Frank. The monster lifted Carrie's table above its head and hurled it like a discus across the room, dropping a pair of residents. It looked down at Carrie and her grandfather, cowering on the floor, exposed. The beast licked its teeth and raised its foot, aiming for Frank. Carrie kicked her foot out at the gator's other leg, knocking the monster to the ground. She needed to lure it away from her grandfather. She ran for the stage. Looking back, she saw the were-gator stomping after her. The creature paused to fold an orderly in half the wrong way. Carrie reached Marlin, who was hovering over Sparky on the stage. Sparky looked up with fear in his eyes, clutching his chest. I think it's a heart attack, Marlin said, shaking with anger. I'll be okay, Sparky said through clenched teeth. Just kill that green asshole. The were-gator threw the orderly's corpse across the room and headed for the stage. Carrie dumped the bingo spinner onto the floor. Wooden balls rolled everywhere. They caught the creature underfoot. It flailed its arms, losing balance. Marlin dove at the were-gator, tackling it hard. They smashed through the French doors, landing on a shuffleboard deck and a spray of glass. Carrie followed them through the shattered doors. Marlin and the gator rolled on the ground, taking huge swings at each other. The were-gator climbed on top of Marlin, pinning his arms. It leaned back and let out a tooth-gnashing roar. Marlin grabbed a shuffleboard disc and smashed it into the gator's mouth, taking out a fistful of teeth. Carrie spotted the rack of shuffleboard cue sticks. She grabbed one and jumped the were-gator, aiming the cue at the back of its neck. She caught it square in the base of its skull. The were-gator froze. It let out an ungodly shriek. Steam rose into the night air as the creature's flesh began to sizzle. Its eyes popped out of its head as black blood spilled from the sockets. It let out a final pathetic howl and then exploded, coating Marlin in green and black ooze. He looked up at Carrie. Good shot. Thanks. No problem, she said, tossing the cue to the ground. I need to check on Vicky, Marlin said. Can you make sure Sparky gets to the hospital? Of course. Thanks, Marlin said. I'll call you soon. He ran off in the direction of the parking lot. Carrie turned back to the nursing home. A row of residents milled around just inside the building, staring at her in bewilderment. The lights were out at Vicky's. Marlin parked his brat behind her Mazda and ran to the front door, locked. He smashed the doorbell. No answer. He rang the bell again. Vicky, he yelled. Nothing. Maybe she wasn't home. Her car was here, but that didn't mean she was. Someone could have picked her up. She could be out on a date. That would explain why she hadn't answered the dozens of calls he'd made on the frantic drive over. But he needed to be sure. He hopped the fence at the side of the house, triggering the motion sensors. The backyard was bathed in light. An inflatable pink flamingo stared at him from the pool. He walked to the pool house, punched the code into the keypad, and swung open the door. 
It was dark, but he could tell the boxes were gone. He flipped the light switch, and then he saw Vicky. She lay prone on the floor, gagged with a bandana, arms bound behind her back. I always appreciate when in the midst of uh, whatever crazy things are going on in the midst of a story like Low Life, uh, the main character is like, um, you know, I know this, all this insanity is happening on all sorts of levels, but uh, I still have bills to pay, so I still need to do my job. Um, I mean, that's life, right? That's, that is Low Life. And while that might not be the most thrilling part of the episode, we have also the revelation within a revelation that Olivia Matheson is alive. No, that's not Olivia. She's actually dead, though this other one is a were-gator and working for Wilma. And, you know, also, um, talk about the unexpected. Um, I'm, I'm wrestling with this idea of Wilma, our supposed radical environmentalist who doesn't want to just uh, drain the swamp, but to drain all the Florida to flood it out and return it to nature. And while I love the bizarre horror comedy that is low life when you're mixing the supernatural and government conspiracies all together, um, I just, I find myself wondering, is it environmentalism to want to radically alter a biome to bring it to an idealized yet artificial state? I don't know, but one thing's for sure, thriller is a really diverse genre. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And let's see how this all wraps up in episode eight of Low Life coming at you very soon. I'm Neil Helligers. This is Adrenaline on Realm, and I will see you then. Take care. You're listening to Adrenaline Low Life, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Low Life is created and written by Steve Marcarelli and Billy Lawler. Produced by Marco Palmieri. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Performed by Nick Sullivan and Eleanor Cottle. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. Theme music by Amanda Rose Smith with guitar by Kaylin West. Cover art by Marco Cousins. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Osadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Bagala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>